Okay, it's day six. Uh, we've just watched uh, the Colombia-Japan game. I myself was late and missed the first 15 minutes, which, as I understand, was most of the important action for the game. Carlos Sanchez, red card. I hear it was a blatant handball. Penalty Shinji Kagawa scored that. And uh, there was a Contero free kick, which was lovely. And another Japan goal uh, towards the end. We remarked that it's um, it's another... Uh, in a in a long well growing list of surprising results for this World Cup, Japan I think most people expected uh, would be the weaker link in this group, which is fairly evenly balanced. Senegal and Poland to come, Colombia and Poland perhaps are the the two front runners, but it's very difficult to to predict in, in Group H. Um, although a two one victory to Japan, largely because of Colombia going down to ten men early on, is. Um, is a surprise result, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, I, I think um, clearly that red card, as early as it was, had a massive impact, not simply because they were playing against 10 men, but also because it forced Colombia initially to sit back into a sort of a 4-4-1 uh, and then take a Quadrado off, bring on Wilma Barrios um, to tighten up that midfield area. Yeah. Um, and Colombia brought James Rodriguez off the bench uh, sort of fairly late into the second half, which I don't think they would have expected to have to do or probably wanted to have to do at that point. Mm. Um, it was uh, completely the correct decision on the penalty uh, and the red card. Although, is uh, I was a bit confused. I saw somebody mention something about double jeopardy and not getting... Not having a sending off when you award a penalty as well. There's, is... a, there's a new Premier League rule which which began, I think, at the beginning of last season. Yeah. Which yeah, I think I think it's along the lines of if there is, uh, although I think it's more to do with with the intent. So right. if the intent is is well, I don't know the rules really, but I'm fairly certain if the intent is there, as I imagine it was in this case, to deliberately block it with a hand, then it's fine to give a penalty and not. But I think the rule was introduced for. A situation in which there was a, a clear foul, but there was no intent behind it. In which case, there would not be a penalty given, but there would be a red card or one of the. Oh, it was a, not a red card, but a penalty. I think, I think it's key. that way round. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but no, I, Japan. You know, Japan did what we expected them to do in terms of, um, you know, Hasebi playing a, a screening role, looking quite effective, uh, creatively, pretty much everything going through. Um, Kagawa, uh, Yoshida played well at centre back, which is nice for me as a Southampton fan. And Colombia, I think they threatened. Falcao, I thought, played really well. Yeah. Um, it, to be fair, it well. still looked fairly even, even in the, right towards oh, the end of the absolutely. game. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a reflection both of how Colombia reorganised intelligently after going down to 10, yeah. and also the fact that Japan are not the most offensively. Um, creative or exciting side. Yeah, um, it was good to see Barrios on, uh, and it was good to see Jefferson Lerma start because yeah. he's somebody that we we flagged up as being, you know, a, a good potential player for Colombia. We probably didn't expect him to to get a lot of game time actually, so it was nice to see him start from the off. Mm. Um, it's one of those games, I think, because of the early red card, that it's pretty impossible to infer much about. The remaining group prospects mm. on the basis of that game, because in a, a red card so early on does kind of alter the complexion of a game beyond what makes it useful. Beyond tactical investigation, 
but I suppose what what we can infer, well, what we can infer from it, from the result, is what's going to happen going forwards. Now, as we said, this group was, was fairly evenly balanced. I mean, this result is a surprise as much as there can be a surprise in in Group H, um, based on the fact that the the four teams are fairly even. Um, Colombia now, you, you can still see them going through, right? I mean, they could they could beat Poland and and Senegal. That's not out of the question, is it? Yeah, I I mean, my instinct when I looked at this group was exactly as you say, very very difficult to call. But with Colombia, the way I would have thought about it prior to this result would be Colombia edging first, Poland edging second. Uh-huh. I think that's probably reversed now. Yeah. Um, but if there's a team that can spring a surprise, it's Senegal. Um, well, what about Japan? Because the way they might be looking at it now, they were very well organised in this game. They did concede, but of course it was from a from a set piece, so it's not quite the same as open play. Another set piece goal, by the way. It's been quite a lot in the World I think Cup it's so far. Nineteen of thirty some thirty four or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what the regular ratio is, but that sounds fairly significant. It's nowhere near that. Ratio. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mean, Japan might be thinking. Well, if we can get draws out of the next two games, that's five points. That would ordinarily be enough to see a side go through. Yeah, I I think Japan are not defensively strong enough to cope with Poland. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, in Lewandowski, they've got potentially the best out-and-out number nine in the tournament. Yeah, um, not as good as Harry Kane, though, obviously. But, uh... Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and they've they've got some very good players yeah. behind him as well. I, I'm very much looking forward to Linetti, Zelensky, um, even Grzycki is is very very good. So I, I think Poland will have too much for them. And then Poland are no slouch defensively either. Um, Kamil Glick is a very good centre back, and Fabianski I think was Swansea's one bright spark of of last season. Played very very well for them. So if he mm-hmm. gets the nodding goal, then they'll be hard to score against. Senegal Senegal have got a great centre back in Koulibaly. Yeah. Uh, they've got a very exciting forward line, obviously Sadio Mane, but they've got enough players, Baldakaite, um Ismail Azar. It's going to be really hard both to to mark them and also to to kind of know what's coming from them because mm-hmm. they they've got they've got flexibility in their selection Senegal. Yeah. Um I think Japan will be really encouraged by this result, but I, I don't see that they've got quite enough either way. That they're, they're very good in the middle of the park. They're not great at either end. Okay. Um, so I think that will be their undoing. Okay. Well, uh, another word on on England. I think because we we were chatting about it this morning. Um, we are of course upstairs at the Old Red Lion, hence the. Uh, Incessant bus noise outside this morning. Lots of <laughs> lots of buses just lining up outside to uh, disrupt the audio quality of this podcast. Um, the, but the reason I mention that is because last night I uh, stuck around to do a little bit of work after the games were finished, and I had a chat with the the pub landlord. And he had been working on and off throughout the game. He'd seen the goals, watched a little bit of it, but he obviously hadn't been able to pay attention to the whole game. Um, and so when, when I was chatting to him about it, I mentioned that I thought England had played very very well. And he was quite surprised by that. The reason being, most of what he understood, most of how he understood the game to have played out, was through the commentary, which you could hear, or what people in the pub were saying about it. Which, by the sounds of it, was largely negative. And that is something we did. We touched on last night with we were discussing Martin Keown's commentary in particular. Um, I did also notice there were a few tweets. I was looking on Twitter on the bus on the way home, and there were some people being quite negative about the performance as well. 
which again, you know, for, for fear of sort of treading over the same ground, is something I just can't understand. I was quite surprised that he was so surprised England had played well, just based on what he was hearing and not seeing. And then when we sat down together and watched the highlights a little bit later on, uh, he was surprised how, how well England had played. Yeah, well, I, I saw a tweet from Paul Riley earlier, which was in terms of uh, difference between XG4 and XG against the two most dominant performances so far have been England and Sweden. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think I, I re-watched a lot of the game this morning um, while having a coffee in McIntyre's, which is a very nice cafe on... St John's Road. Um, what just down? Um, just just up the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a problem with that place. Oh, have you? Because it used to be it used to be called Bliss. We well, don't like coffee either. So I don't like coffee. <laughs> okay. But they used to be uh, it used to be called Bliss, and there used to be a guy in there. It wasn't actually called Mister Bliss, but he right. used to hang out with Mister Bliss all the time. What a lovely what a lovely guy. Okay. Then he had a treble by- heart bypass, and uh, obviously had to sell to the trendy new coffee people. Well, they're, they're, it's very good coffee. Though. Yeah. Well, anyway. don't don't go there. Just come to the Alfred Lion. Don't go there. Though. Well, yeah, that also. Anyway, so I I, I rewatched the game because I was writing a, a a blog piece for Football Index on it, um, and yeah, England were really good. Yeah. I I I failed to understand how people could watch that performance and yeah okay in the second half things looked a little more laboured uh-huh. that is entirely due to the way that Tunisia defended mm. well and deep and very physically um, it was also partly down to Deli Ali clearly not being at full fitness mm. for much of that game that he was on um, but it's incredibly difficult to pick out any England player and say that they had a bad game mm. possibly Sterling was not quite what we'd expect I did look uh, at the I player know... at the BBC player ratings last night as well and Sterling was significantly lower than any other player he had a 4.1 rating uh, to, be, to be fair Sterling and I'm not this is not a, an anti-Sterling crusade or anything no. I'm a big big fan of his he was less productive mm-hmm. than a lot of the other England players sure. he, in fact he was the the Worst England player. But if that's a four the way of out of ten. It. What he did do very, very well was press. He consistently pressed well with Harry Kane. Mm. Uh, that was crucially important to the way England played mm. in the first half. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, not everyone's going to be perfect. No. I thought Henderson was excellent, and I think Henderson was even better on a second viewing, actually, mm. uh, particularly as England in the second half started to push the defensive line up uh, further and and Maguire and Walker were crucial to that Mm. Henderson was bringing that same degree of really nice sort of 45 degree angle passes out wide but he was doing that closer and closer to the Tunisian box Um, so he was crucial to that Loftus-Cheek when he came on again I, I said this in the blog post we said this at the time in the podcast last night because he's he's a skillful player but he has that physical presence it means that he doesn't have to play the ball off quite so quickly Mm. so he can hesitate that fraction of a second to allow the player that's running off him to get slightly further up the pitch before Mm. he plays the ball and that gives England a little bit more continuity from a deeper midfield position yeah the argument there I suppose is that the defenders are slightly more hesitant to try and push him over than they are Sterling oh completely yeah um, and and I think if you're playing against a side like Tunisia or like Panama will be, mm. then and I, this is by no means a stereotyping of you know 
or black players are big and blah blah mm. blah. I'm not saying that at all because it's not just his physicality; it's his ability to delay the pass mm. under pressure and and to spot that pass. Yeah. And when you've got the rest of the midfield moving really nicely and fluidly, or Trippier on the right overlapping, or even Ashley Young mm. um, overlapping on the left, that that ability to hold the ball for a fraction of a second longer is really important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think anybody who anybody who looks at the England performance and has much negative to say about it yeah. is is buying into the shite that Martin Keown was spouting. Well, what I what I liked about it on uh, reflection, and and this is partly because uh, I listened to the Gareth Southgate interview after we recorded the podcast last night. Um, what what stuck in my mind that Southgate mentioned uh, as, a, as something that he was very pleased with in the game was that even when England were moving into the last 10-15 minutes of the game it was 1-1 they weren't panicking and they were sticking to the system yeah. and they were still making the same sort of passes they were still creating the same movement and trying to create the same chances that they would have been at any other minute in the game and that for two reasons uh, well, is is very pleasing I think firstly there wasn't panicking, which is something that we've seen at previous World Cups, and there wasn't lumping it up to try and get it in the box and bringing on, mm. you know, more strikers and and the rest of it. There was faith in the system, and also they were. It was an it was an immaculate, I would say, well, maybe immaculate's uh, uh, too strong, but it was a very impressive performance in terms of it of it, of it being very. What's the word I'm looking for? Exactly, the system is exactly as it was set out to be. They they did exactly what they were supposed to, and it worked. And I think one of the reasons that people, uh, perhaps, and commentators, etc., were perhaps thinking that it, this was you know the England of days gone by, is because the, there was some sideways passing, and there wasn't. You know, they, they often talk about a sense of urgency. You know, it's something we hear commentators say all the time, which you know, out of context, doesn't really mean anything. You said um, they were lazy, Joe. <laughs> right there, you go. <laughs> Uh, but w- one thing I liked about that was, uh, and the, something I said the commentators seemed to completely miss, is that this wasn't aimless backwards and sideways passing through fear of losing the ball or fear of, of, of conceding. It was part of a systematic approach, and it worked. Yeah. And those two things are very distinctly different, and it's also understandable why on a first watch, and maybe you know maybe you see this more on a second watch, it's it's easier to to miss, or if you're hammered and in the pub and watching the game yeah. you you think it's the same thing and it's just not yeah no 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 that's that's completely right I, uh, to me two things that you said there that were absolutely spot on firstly that a sense of urgency can actually be a sense of desperation yeah and what England didn't do here was panic mm. there was no you know throwing on a multitude of forwards there well, was Martin Keown was telling them to just force it into the box right. which like what does that yeah, even why? mean why would you do it against against a, a centre back <laughs> pairing who A are good in the air B physically strong and C with a referee who's shown no desire to give penalties it's like he wants them to shift into a it different dimension and just walk through stupid. the players yeah so what they did was and, and we talked about this yesterday and I've talked about this in the blog post with with Maguire and Walker and also Henderson as well what England started to do increasingly in the second half was build the pressure mm. and the way they did that was to move the defensive line increasingly further forward yeah. 
so that by the end Tunisia were basically playing in their own penalty area mm. now you can do that by lumping balls forwards and having a lot of players up but mm. it's then very easy for Tunisia to just lump it back themselves if you do it in a measured and controlled way with your centre-backs, your wide centre-backs pushing up and controlling the line of possession mm. rather than just hurling it forwards odds are you'll create a chance at odds some point. are you'll create a chance and also you don't give Tunisia a straightforward out ball mm. because you're not having to play it long yourself and aerially mm. you're actually probing it moving it around yeah. moving it from side to side and waiting for that opportunity yeah. because well, on that, on by that note, doing that you're, you're, you're saying to Tunisia okay either we're going to continue advancing with controlled possession right up to the edge of your box yeah. or you're going to have to move a man forwards to try and close down either the player in possession or close down the passing lanes off that player in possession and open up space in which behind. case there will be space behind yeah. so it's it's yeah. exactly the intelligent way of doing it and it's exactly what like you say Keown failed to understand yeah the purpose of that. Well, on a positive note about the pundits, they did. Uh, Gary Lineker et al. did say something uh, which I thought made a lot of sense and which was interesting uh, in the aftermath of the game. This is again something I only only caught up when I watched the highlights of it later in the evening, um, and that was that what England were doing, what we were just describing there, what England were doing in the last twenty minutes. If Spain or Germany were doing that, it would be expected, and it would be it would be something that the commentators and fans would say yeah this is the right way to approach it they're not panicking this is how they play it's yeah. very sensible because it's England and we're not used to that from them suddenly yeah. it's leth- it's lethargy it's you know yeah yeah I mean <clears throat> I think there's a, there's also a parallel with that I mean just the way that it's a younger German squad um, as I've mentioned before slightly reminds me of Germany's tournament in 2006 on their own soil yeah their first game was a very, very hard fought win against Poland, yeah. and it was very similar. It was, it was it was a result that I think a lot of Germans, after a few years of not playing particularly good football, were getting very anxious, especially on their own soil, to get that really important first win. And it was very late on, from closer, that they got. I mean, it was one 0 at the end. I think it was, mm. but there wasn't this. There was a, a bit more of a kind of acceptance that they played a team that. Albeit a little bit not not as good as them, were extremely difficult to break down, and they mm. didn't get anywhere near the amount of um, kind of backlash that, uh, that that England have got. If, if you can mm. call it, because I think still think there's been enough positive comments. Yeah, but, it's, yeah. but yeah, that's that's the point. You know, a Germany side which has developed into something that we can revere now. I'm not mm. saying exactly the same thing is going to happen. It's or we'll wait and see with that but that, you know that it was that, that was seen as like a, a moment when German football had changed around a little right. bit and, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, and I think you can I mean as I said we're not comparing them directly but I think you can see that here it, I'm going to ask you now Phil though if England is Germany in this case then who's Italy who, who are we going to lose to in the final is it France um, I yeah. think it's France yeah probably I think um, it's France yeah probably France yeah. Uh, because it, yeah Italy won't Particularly lovely in that in that whole tournament, really. Yeah. I mean, I think France would be the France of yeah. that tournament. Really, the France would be the France of Russia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just worth noting quickly, one thing I've seen. This is not an original thought, mm-hmm. by the way. I'm just regurgitating from a couple of things that intelligent analysts have said on Twitter that I've seen. Um, England's set pieces looked very, very good, and Ted Knutson. Um, the Statsbomb guy said he's he's not seen any other team at this tournament 
win so many first headers in the mm. box to then go across to set up an opportunity for somebody else. Obviously, that's mm. how Kane got his second goal. Both of his goals were almost identical. Yeah, so Harry Maguire in, in the second goal. I can't mm. remember who it was in the first. John um, Stones, it came off the header. He headed it at the goal. The goalkeeper saved it. That's but Harry right. Kane was in the same spot yeah. uh, from a corner both times, just and, opposite ends of the pitch. And there's a gift doing the rounds of Southgate mouthing, where's Harry? Yeah. Just before he scores that second one. Yeah. And it does look... To, I mean, particularly in tournament football... If you coach set pieces intelligently yeah. and you work on them, the margins, the, the incremental gain of working hard on, on those routines yeah. can be enormous mm. because there's a disproportionate effect of scoring one goal in tournament football. Do you think Panama will have watched that game and realised that Harry Kane scored both of his goals from exactly the same position, exactly the same movement dropping off uh, back well, to the back post at a corner, is, will they have to change that up or is it something... No, you've, you've got to remember that Panama are so bad at football that they've never seen a goal that good scored oh, yeah. against Who them. Who was that? Mark Lawrenson, was it? On it. It's like one it of the someone. most <laughs> appalling comments I've ever heard. They've probably never seen goals like this. Right, so Panama they probably... Were they also described as being from South America? They were by mm. Gary Lineker, yeah. yeah. So Panama don't have uh, access to, to cassette tapes mm. they, they don't do analysis no. they just they don't have electricity or they the just want over there. it more yeah they want um, it more no they'll, they'll absolutely have picked up on that and, yeah. I, and I do think in be interesting to see if Harry Kane does something different or if the, if the set piece is like well, plan B now to yeah, move on again I think the thing with England is that they've got enough good headers of the ball that you could you could effectively run a similar plan mm. but have different players taking those different facets and yeah. I'm sure that Southgate will have worked on that yeah. um, so I wouldn't be at all surprised to see similar goals but with you know Kane coming in and doing the flick on and Maguire the one who's appearing at the back post right. for example yeah. because that would confuse the marking system even if as Panama clearly will have done because they're a professional football team at the World Cup done yeah. their preparation sure and, and I don't know so, what you mean no yeah um, but no, I think I think there's enough. If you look at England's two remaining games in this group, there are enough aspects of the the performance against Tunisia to look forward and say, okay, that will probably work well against Panama. Mm-hmm. That will probably work well against Belgium. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely take heart from that. Great. Okay, well, we've talked quite a long time about England now, but uh, we're going to watch the Poland Senegal game, which I think will be quite exciting. And later on is a, a terrific affair. I'm particularly looking forward to Egypt-Russia. Mm. Um, Russia played outstandingly well in their first game. Egypt are going to start Mo Salah, uh, so I'll be excited to see that. We'll come back about, uh, We'll come back after uh, those two games and have a chat about them, but I uh, hope you're enjoying day six. Oh, Group H, you sweet, sweet mistress. Another uh, potentially unexpected result there, Alex. Senegal coming away with the win, 2-1 against the Polish, who rallied towards the end, a goal from Krakowiak. Uh, But it wasn't enough to get that draw. Now, as we've said uh, earlier on the podcast, Group H is very difficult to predict, and it is proving to be very true, that that sentiment. Um, But I think... In terms of uh, the likely outcomes, having Japan and Senegal 
both winning their openers, was maybe on the lower end of what we would have expected. Yes, in terms of both of them winning, definitely. Um, I let me let me ask you a more specific question, please. Um, there was some more bad commentary from Ali McCoy's, who seemed to think that the Polish team didn't want it. Uh, don't think that's quite true, but they certainly did look quite lackadaisical at times. Uh, maybe that has too many negative connotations, but stodgy. They looked a little bit stodgy. We didn't see what we would have liked to from Lewandowski, uh, who you know is a, is a player of such quality that he could easily go on and be a sort of a golden boot finalist for a, a tournament like this. What was going wrong for the Polish, and what went right for the Senegalese? Well, the Senegalese did what we expected them to do, which is to be very solid in midfield. Um, Idrissa, Ghana, gay. We're, we're still not entirely sure whether he's Ghana or he's gay, or mm. it's quite confusing. Some people call him Ghana. He's got Ghana written on the back of his shirt, but Idrissa gay works. Yeah, um, so he, he was very solid, um, and they looked to use their pace up front with Mane dropping off uh, to link up. Um, Zar and Niang both did really well, mm. um, and then you know Musa So was sort of pulling defenders this way and that way to create space for the the attacking trident coming in behind him. So Senegal did what we thought they would do. Mm. Um, and was, there, was there lots of attention on Mane? Do you think is it perhaps make create space and opportunities for other players? Absolutely, that. So Krakowiak basically sat on Mane for as much as uh, as he possibly could, mm-hmm. um, and, and man marked him. And, and Krakowiak's someone who plays either as a a, a very defensive defensive midfielder or even as a centre back so he's kind of the ideal person for that mm-hmm. um, obviously it was his slightly wild back pass that, that led to the, the second Senegal goal mm. um, Poland I agree yeah they were stodgy possibly because Krakowiak was man marking Sane that meant he wasn't able to push up that meant that Zielinski had to do a lot in central midfield on his own mm. and wasn't able to get further up the pitch which he probably would have wanted to do is that a bit reactive then is that not I mean we've seen that uh, a few times not even in just, just, just in this tournament but over the last season in, in the Premier League I feel like we've seen that sort of reactionary start from a team who are arguably maybe have more quality overall in the squad or, or expected to win who use one defensive player to sit on the talented player of the opposition team is that too reactive a way to start a game uh, is that not maybe something that you could move towards if the player in question was displaying or creating a lot of chances because you weren't sitting on him. Should, is there an argument to make that Poland should have just gone out and played more progressively? Yes, I think so. And and I think what that would have done is allowed Zelensky to get up alongside Milik, who looked a little bit lost at times, mm. trying to be the, the sort of 10 who gets up and joins Lewandowski uh, up front. Yeah. I think the, the Polish fullbacks were unable or unwilling to get as far forward as you might expect them to do mm. probably both of those decisions predicated on on the worry over how quick Senegal are on the break mm. so you can understand why they've done it at the same time if Poland tried to kind of get their foot on the ball and control the possession uh, in the way that say England would have done mm. um, and, and work the ball kind of more slowly but more methodically up the pitch mm. it would have allowed them to push their progressive players uh, particularly the fullbacks higher up without needing to worry so much because they're less likely to turn the ball over mm. um, well it's, well, it's an interesting question isn't it or a conundrum I suppose how you deal with a p- pacey winger 
uh, who's you know clearly the best player on 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 the opposing team. Because one of the uh, I suppose one of the ways of going about that is to press very high yourself, and that means that often players who have a lot of flair and who are very fast and play in the wide forward areas sometimes aren't as useful going back and defending. If you force them to do that by pushing your fullback up, which might seem like um, an unsafe thing to do, particularly against a team like Senegal who have lots of pace on the counter attack. But if you do that and control possession, you know, minimise your errors, arguably that's a better way of uh, keeping those sorts of players subdued. Yes, and I think that's why a lot of teams have gone to a three at the back, because mm. the wing backs are naturally doing that. If the wing backs get caught out of possession and the quick player bursts through, you've got a wide centre back that can swing across and cover that. Yeah. If they don't, you've got a spare centre back, at least one who can push forward up into midfield and assist with that pos- that um, possessional play. And force them to defend. And force them to defend. Mm. And I think, uh, I, I know what you're saying about McCoist's comment that uh, Poland looked like they didn't want it, which is obviously stupid. But mm. if, if you're going to take something from the mentality there, it's maybe that they didn't believe that they would be able to impose themselves on the game mm. in a way that I would have expected them to be able to do and that that does I suppose kind of indicate a certain fragility in terms of how they were thinking about the game. Well looking forward now to the games that are coming up in Group H. Sunday is the uh, is the next day that Group H well, the C's Group H teams play each other Japan Senegal, the two winners of, to do, uh, of t- uh, today's two games are going to play each other, Poland-Colombia the, suddenly the outlook of that Poland-Colombia game is um, it's quite severe, isn't it? I mean, presumably both teams are going to see that as a must-win, and if not, definitely must-not-lose. So that would be quite an interesting one, or potentially a solid one to watch. Japan and Senegal, you might argue that both would be fairly happy to settle for a draw in that game. Yes, and and Colombia, Poland absolutely don't want a draw, desperately, mm. either of them. Mm. Um, you've got to look at that Colombia-Poland game now and say that whoever loses, that isn't going through. Yeah. And given the heritage of both of those teams in international tournaments, that would have to be considered a surprise. Yeah. Having said that, as we've said about this group consistently, you know, while you would fractionally give Poland and Colombia the advantage, this is a very good Senegal team in terms of individual players. Mm. And Alio Cisse has done a fantastic job in coaching them. Mm. It's also a very good collective Japanese unit who know what they're doing and are led by some very strong players on the pitch, including Hasebi and Kagawa. So, mm. yes, it would be a surprise, but on the evidence of what we've seen so far, it wouldn't be a shock, if no. that makes sense. Well, of the four teams in Group H that we've watched today, then, uh, who, uh, in terms of personnel or what, uh, in terms of uh, system, has drawn your eye the most what are you most impressed by um, I, it, it's a difficult question to answer because I, I don't think I don't think any of them have been great mm-hmm. um, weirdly this is sound like a kind of typically annoying hipster answer I think Colombia's defensive shape after they had a man sent off was really impressive mm-hmm. um, with Barrios doing particularly well alongside Aguilar Um Senegal look like the best team in this group so far mm. um, that's a combination really of the, the, the individual skill of those forward players and particularly the the discipline and hard work of, of Gay in central midfield and he was somebody who 
you know, in that absolutely disastrous season that Aston Villa had when they were relegated, he was the one shining light in that season who seemed to be carrying that team. And he's shown that on ever his own. Since. Absolutely, mm. and, you know, he is a really, really exciting player, and and he's sort of like Diangolo Kante that people don't really talk about quite so much. Mm. You know, it's not just the uh, consistent work rate and the tackling ability. But he gets forward. He he is able to support attacking moves. Mm. You know, he was around the edge of the box for that shot that that cannoned off the the Polish midfielder. So this is not just somebody who kind of covers a lot of ground and snuffs out a lot of attacking moves. You mm. know, he's able, and the the Senegalese double pivot in midfield are uh, and it, not a surprise given that their coach was a defensive midfielder. You know, they they work really well together. One will push, one will drop, and they can both do either. Mm. So. I think yeah, Senegal definitely in terms of what we've seen so far look like look like the hardest team to beat. Okay. Um, but you know, this is Group H, man. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Literally anything. Phil, Group A later on today we'll be watching Egypt Russia, which is I think is going to be quite an exciting game. I'd like a, uh, a sort of thought from you on what you uh, imagine will play out during that game. I'll ask Alex too, but he's been wrong pretty much every time so far. So I'm hoping that we can get some sense out of you. Um, a lot of vitality from from Egypt. It's <clears throat> it's a game that they they maybe not mathematically, but certainly need to re- really win. To be mm-hmm. honest, because if they don't, then if, even if it's a draw, Russia then you know could could even just go for a goal difference alone. So yeah. realistically, I, I think that uh, we'll see a. a quite a vital Egypt side yeah. um, that could also then very easily get caught in the break as well so it should make for an exciting game I think so Yeah. what do you it's, think is, what do you think is going to happen um, I think Egypt will win actually ok um, I think that uh, there, there are a lot of um, cracks that were that weren't there to see um, with the Russia-Saudi Arabia game yeah. in that Saudi Arabia wouldn't ever kind of weren't causing any problems to uh, a Russian defence that isn't particularly good. Yeah. If if uh, Salah's playing, even if he's two thirds fit or whatever, he's going to cause that that back on a lot, a, a lot of problems. Yeah. And also just bearing in mind that Egypt were desperately unlucky to to lose to Uruguay in the first place. Yeah. That's going next. So they played very well in that. So if they transferred some of that kind of performance, they could really cause a lot of problems for Russia this evening. Those sirens there, the FSB are coming for you. So. <laughs> Is that fine to say? I've said it now. I? So uh, don't worry. Uh, Alex, you were nodding your head there when uh, Philippe said Egypt to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with Philippe on this. I think, yes, you know, Russia. Obviously, they're going to have the the home support. They're going to be buoyed by a, a very strong performance, admittedly against a very weak team mm. in their first game. Um, Egypt, a they'll have Salah back, um, but b their central midfield of um, Hamad. Uh, uh, Hamer, sorry, and uh, El Nene will be a lot, lot harder to get through. Mm-hmm. That will deny Golovin quite as much space, um, and I think that kind of combination of solidity through the centre will um, allow Salah to impose himself on the game. Okay, uh, I think the while Russia were comfortable in that game against Saudi Arabia. There are doubts about their back line, particularly in terms of pace. And mm. if you if you don't want to face one player for that, it's Mohamed Salah. So I think it's going to be a... <laughs> you go. 
I'm going a Russia 3-1. You know what? Oh, you God. jest, but that's exactly what I was going to say. I think it's going to be a, a Golovin masterclass. I think it's going to be a 3-1 Russia. They're super up for it. Yeah. They're at home. I think, I think it's well, I, I, I'm upset because I've got I've got a Golovin shirt, I've got a Poland shirt which I'm wearing, and I've got a Senegal shirt as well. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've so run... why are you upset? You've got too many things because I've, I've worn the wrong one today. There you go. I mean, I'd imagine that Egypt's probably up for it as well. Well, everyone's up for it. Everyone's up for it. But in the words of Ali McCoist, who's up for it more? Who wants it more, <laughs> Phil? He's the least lazy. And I'm going to be uh, reductive and be just like Ali McCoist. I reckon the Russians. It's going to be good. Anyway, we're going to watch that now. We'll come back afterwards and we'll chat a little bit about how everyone was looking good. Yeah. I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty sure I did say it would be 3-1. Oh, you said more, didn't you? I said 3-1. No, he definitely said 3-1. Precisely. Uh, Although, as you also said when I made a prediction in an earlier pod, we Mm. could be recording this at any time. We could be. You could have said that. Mm. I don't mind what the listeners think, because you both know that I was right, and also you both said Egypt would win, and I was right. Not that I want to brag, but But I did say say 3-1, because the Russians are up for it, aren't they? Anyway... Um, I don't know what I took from that game other than the fact that it was 3-1. Suddenly I can't remember anything uh, (laughs) other than my own victory. But what I do remember, what's coming back to me now, uh, is that Egypt... It didn't really make very much happen in the first half, did they? Suddenly, when Russia scored the third goal, there was five minutes where it looked like Russia might go on and do what they did to Saudi Arabia. It might score even more. Egypt sort of fell apart momentarily, and then they rallied a little bit got the penalty and suddenly it was a, a different game wasn't it and it's a bit of a shame for, for the Egyptians that that didn't happen um, earlier on because for the last certainly the last 15 minutes they, they looked like the better team yeah they looked they did look well they looked better than they had looked before I don't think they troubled Russia enormously at any point um, couple, couple of potential shouts for another penalty towards towards the end maybe but yeah, not no, enough to make a difference no and, and there, was, there was some debate over whether because that foul appeared to have started outside the box and then kind of carried on mm. you know was it, would it have resulted in a penalty anyway but um, I think I mean yes Russia look pumped Cheryshev again scoring Zuba again again scoring Yeah, Golovin um, had another good game he tied a bit towards the end but he had a great game lovely little back heel towards the end as well yeah um, and they've got that solidity in central midfield with Gazinski and Zobnin Mm. Um, Zhirkov was marauding down the left hand side and uh, Danny Murphy made um, one of his occasional astute points about Salah and that defence on Egypt's right Russia's left mm. that because Salah wasn't tracking back partly I think a fitness thing partly because they want him in an advanced position in space because that's where he's most effective uh, it put a lot of stress on El Neni to try and cover across wide and help out Ahmed Fati who's yeah. the Egyptian right back he had a really poor game yeah. and um, they just didn't do that properly so uh, with Chechsev and Zerkov uh, having basically the the run of the pitch on that side, yeah, uh, it was very very difficult for Egypt, mm. not just to defend it, but also to get some momentum themselves mm. on Salah's flank, which you would expect to be their most dangerous side. So, yeah. 
there's an argument to say Salah would have been more beneficially played, possibly as a striker, um, possibly in the ten position where Saeed played instead. Mm. Well, from conversations that we were having during the second half, I got a different uh, a different vibe from both of you about Russia going forwards. Philippe, I'm going to start with you because you were saying you think Uruguay are again a, a, a much stronger team than Egypt were, who were a much stronger team than Saudi Arabia were. You think Russia might struggle against Uruguay? Yeah, I mean, but, but as was quite rightly pointed out, we, we said that about Saudi Arabia as well, and obviously Uruguay weren't terrific in, in the first game against Egypt. That having been said, I think there's just that next level of quality up in the Uruguay squad mm. that could punish Uru- um, Russia. Um I mean, I more, more 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 of a test for their defence as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially if, if if Suarez is 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 firing, then that then that could that could be a real struggle for them. You know, yeah, they've either way they've still got Portugal, Spain to get through yeah. in in the next round, which could be pretty tough for them. Yeah. But um, on the basis of the past two performances, uh, they can be not particularly scared of any team at the minute. Yeah, they must be fine. Hi, Alex, you were saying that you thought on the basis of uh, all the evidence of today's game that Russia could win the group. Yeah, I think they can because because momentum in short order tournaments like this is so important. And goal difference as well, if they even draw with Uruguay. Well, I, I, yeah, and, I, and I think drawing with Uruguay is, is quite possibly <laughs> the most realistic expectation. I mean, look, Zuba, if he starts up again uh, up front, um, and there's every reason to say he should over Shmolov. I mean, Shmolov works really hard in the channels, but Zuba just gives mm. something in terms of aerial presence. A lovely um, goal today. Really, really nice goal. Mm. Very, very good control. Um, but he's not faced Diego Gordon and Jose Jimenez before, mm. you know, or, or he may have before. I mean, he's not he's not faced centre backs of that quality mm. before. Um, and I think as well uh, that uh, strong central midfield, particularly Vecchino of Uruguay, isn't going to give Golovan anywhere near the kind of space and time that he's had so far in, in the first two games. Because they had an awful lot today. There were there yeah. were moments, particularly in the first half, at times in the second half, when Russia would almost play it, you know, two thirds of the length of the pitch from their defence, and uh, Golovin or, or Cheryshev would just pluck it out of the air there would be no one around them well Hamad and El Neni I think worked their socks off for, for Egypt in central midfield but mm. they simply weren't getting the assistance mm. from uh, their wide players and and I think that's in part because Egypt recognised that they probably needed to keep those wide players higher in order to, to try and hit Russia effectively on the break mm. at the same time what that meant was that, that the Russian midfield particularly when, like you say, those vertical passes were coming centrally from the Russian centre-backs. They, they had so much time and space. And, and if you if you give Golovan particularly that kind of space, you know, we, we've seen already in this tournament, and we, we knew about it beforehand because we profiled him, mm. um, he can make stuff happen. And I think it was kind of... It was hard on the Egyptian central midfield pairing to expect them to get through so much work with mm. so little assistance from the players ahead of them. Mm. Well, one of the other things I was going to ask you, uh, because yesterday in the podcast, after Belgium and England played, uh, we all said that we thought our, across the, the first round of group games that, that England and Belgium looked arguably the strongest in terms of uh, not only results but also performance. 
perhaps it you know the the, the first Russia game was uh, five or six days ago, but now on the evidence of that and on this, I mean, there's an argument to say that that Russia are up there in terms of performance as well. Would it be unfair to say? I mean, we, and we've talked as well about some of the commentators saying things like, "Oh, Russia are up for it," or "Poland aren't up for it," and that that's kind of reductive. But there's certainly a psychological element here. You've touched on it already with momentum now. Russia playing in front of a home crowd, that's going to make some difference as well, you would imagine. Is it unfair to say that they're doing well based on their psychological advantage or based on that momentum um, rather than to say they're playing well because of the system that they're using, because of the players they're using, because of their tactical approach? Where does the dial line up between those two things and, and is it fair to... Put them in the same camp with with England and Belgium now on the on the basis of today's performance. I I think I think that's a really hard question to answer. Look, Russia have switched to a four at the back very very late in the day. Yeah. So it is possible that the teams that are playing against them in this group prepared to play a, kind of a, an old fashioned Russia in, in terms of how they they progressed through qualifying and have been surprised a little bit mm. by the way they've lined up. Um, I think their their players are playing with a degree of freedom and confidence which is likely to be influenced by the fact they're playing at home. Mm. Um obviously that can go two ways, you know, the 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 pressure of of carrying a, the expectations of your home nation can have a, an overbearing effect as well. It doesn't seem to be at this point in time. And the positive thing you would have thought from a momentum point of view as well is that since they've won this game now, six points already on the board, they're very, very likely to, to go through. I mean, I'm not sure if it's already mathematically certain or not, but they're, they're going to qualify. Mm. The pressure's off to a certain extent yeah. in, the, in the final game. And so however they perform, they're not going to be feeling you know, undue pressure from the crowd. Therefore, when they do make it through, the argument would be that they can keep that momentum rolling into the knockout stages. Uh, yes, and also I think in terms of the dynamic of the group, given that, that Russia have got their six points on the board already with Uruguay to play tomorrow, mm. that puts increased pressure on Uruguay. And when you're playing with that pressure, when you were the pre-tournament favourites from that group to go through and you're playing a Saudi Arabian side who A, are going to want to make a point and a B, going to be very resilient and hard to break down anyway, mm. then that makes it harder for Uruguay. Um, I think Russia... Look, the the way they're playing works very well for what they're doing at the moment. I would still say that they've not yet defensively been tested properly, mm-hmm. um, and you know they've not come up against a really good centre forward yet. Arguably, the best attacking player that they've faced so far is seventy percent fit. Mm-hmm. So it's I wouldn't say that they're at the level necessarily that, that England and Belgium are. Not because England and Belgium have faced really, really good strikers, mm-hmm. but because both of those teams controlled every aspect of the play by and large mm-hmm. and had to do some defending in a way that Russia haven't quite yet. And both had to break down opposition as well. It, well, it wasn't, you know, the game didn't throw completely their way. No, although I don't think it has for Russia either. Perhaps I mean, in the first game. In the first game, yes. I, I think Egypt did... Pose a, a stiffer opposition, but then, you know, Fatih had a bad game. Arguably, Ahmed Hagazi, who is Egypt's best centre back, is still, you know, he he did quite well for West Brom, but mm. it was West Brom. Yeah, you know, there's there are there are certainly sterner tests 
to come for Russia. But it's one of the things with the World Cup is comparing across groups mm. and and trying to kind of go like for like. Oh well, this means they're you know they're looking good in comparison with them. It's it's really hard to say because you're playing totally different opposition under totally different circumstances. So it's funny you say that because I'm going to ask you <laughs> to, do ask to do that. You're going to do that because yeah. I'm going to ask both of you because now. Uh, today is the uh, the culmination of the first round of group games. So we've seen every team play. Who's, who's going to win? <laughs> Not who's the best, but I, I, I think, you know, prediction, predictions are silly, but they're also fun. Uh, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Which team is going to win the World Cup? Um, I ba- based on what you've seen so far. Based on what I've seen so far, uh, I think it could be Mexico or Russia. <laughs> no, I don't really. Uh, I still, I still think that even though they've stuttered, um, Brazil, France, Germany, Spain—that's too many teams. You have to pick one. No, I'm not saying that. I, I'm, they just, can't all I'm win. justifying where I'm going with this. Okay. I think they've still, they are still the strongest mm. units in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning much more, I think, now towards Spain than I was before. That's interesting. Philippe's nodding his head as well. No, I would like to say something a bit a bit different, but I, I, I think the same. I think they came up against a pretty unstoppable Ronaldo who, who felt very G'd up in a, the Iberian derby. Mm. And, and a but, really good Portugal side. Yeah, yeah. As, as a whole, yeah, Portugal that's, that's, are a good side. Um, and I think that they, they, were, they were quite unlucky, really, to not win that game. Mm. I thought they were absolutely sensational at points, and I think this go could be absolutely key in that as well mm. I thought he had, a, he had a sensational game there um, I, also, I think there's always a chance for France having a bit yeah I, mean, I, I, would, I would love to say I would love to say France with a bit more conviction but it, it, it totally depends which way yeah. France's tournament goes after seeing various other World Cup campaigns from the French side they started quite slowly against Australia but there's as, as we mentioned before, there's a chance if they if they get through the group stage with a few kind of mm. schlubby wins and, and top the group, that's when that French side in theory could could really kick into gear and click. Okay. Uh, which we've seen pretty most recently in in, in 2006. Yeah. As an example, is a, is when a French side can really they 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 squeak past the group stage at that point and then got to the final and played mm. very well getting there. They're very good in the last World Cup as well. And we're desperately unlucky to lose to Germany. Mm. If they won that, then maybe they could have flourished beyond there. Yeah. So yeah, there's a bit. I think there's a big shout for France as well. Still. Okay. I'm glad you chose two because I've got two as well. So Alex, would you like to pick one more? You had Spain. Will I it be? Th- will it be another from your list of the usual suspects? Um. I think. I think my half-joking answer actually Mexico is less jokey. I think, I think if there are two sides that have shown that they can progress further than people had expected them to progress, and mm. I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I I didn't necessarily. In fact, I was fairly certain that wouldn't that Russia would not get out of the group. So mm. I've been proved massively wrong on that score. But I don't think I'm alone in that. I think the way Russia have played so far with a home crowd and I think the way Mexico absolutely schooled Germany now Germany were at fault for that a lot themselves but there's something about this Mexican side 
that I think you know we had we had Colombia as pretty unexpected quarter finalists in the last World Cup. Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me if if Mexico did something similar. Okay. In this one. Right. So you have Spain and Mexico. Why not? You've taken Spain and France. Yeah. You ready for mine, guys? And you know I'm good at predictions now <laughs> because I got the three one. Just to remind everyone, I got the three one. You're going to go Russia yeah. and England. I'm not going Russia. I am going England. Yeah. But I'm also going Portugal. Yeah. 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 And I think I'm going to be right in one of those teams. I think, I think there's a, a there's definitely a strong argument. It's can I, I tell you what? I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. I'm going go to tell on, you why. And I, then I'll tell you if you're right. It's because apart partially, it's because I remember two years ago. Yeah. Uh, also. I think on the basis of what we've seen in terms of trends across all games, across all groups, the teams who are well-organised and defending well and have a very good striker are the teams that are winning. And I think that uh, trying to see a sort of uh, a trend across football generally, I'm thinking Leicester as well. I'm thinking uh, Atletico Madrid. You know, I think that's what might happen. I think Portugal yeah. could go the distance. It definitely works for tournament football. Mm. Um when when you've got look Russia sorry not Russia Portugal have a great deal of of continuity not wholly in personnel although significantly in personnel but absolutely in style mm. from 2016 um, yes they've got a world class player and as we were talking about off air I think because we're preparing a video on a on a different topic um, for the next couple of days. Portugal so far are the side who've got a system built around their one kind of world-class player, mm. contrasting with Neymar, contrasting with Messi, where it does work. Mm -hmm. And so far it's not clicked for those other sides. And um, you could argue that Harry Kane has <laughs> clicked for England around Harry Kane. Um, but, you know, Portugal do look like they all know exactly what they're supposed to do in any given situation. And I was messaging... Uh, Tiago Estevez earlier about Portugal's tactics um, and he said that they are also very astute at subtle in-game alterations so William Cavalio pushing up to block off the Iniesta channel in that 3-3 three -three. Um, it's a minor alteration but it makes all the difference and some of the teams that we've seen steamrolling through games so far haven't needed to do that mm. I do feel like England did do that against Tunisia mm. they did push up further it's like um, when Real Madrid beat Juventus in the Champions League final two seasons ago mm -hmm. and at half time Zidane's instructions were basically play 10 yards further up the pitch mm. and that was about it yeah. and that was enough and I think England again Southgate probably said something similar I just want you to carry it further compress the space and, and the teams in tournament football the teams like you say that defend well have one really good player who will score and can make those subtle in-game alterations to tip the balance in their favour Yeah, they are the teams that do well in tournaments um, and so for that reason yeah you you have a strong point woohoo it's been a long podcast today guys it has day Sorry 6 no no day seven's coming tomorrow I can't remember who's playing and I'm tired uh, so we'll be at the end of it now. Um, but we are at the Old Red Lion Theatre. And uh, it was I got to upload a fun little video today onto Twitter. Uh, I think It's uh, on the TIFO Twitter as well, I think. Scenes of the uh, celebrations after the England goal. Oh, it gives a lovely uh, approximation of the atmosphere downstairs. Do come on down, Old Red Lion Theatre, 
Angel, Islington, London, EC1, the world. Because this is the World Cup after all, isn't it, Phil? He's smiling over there in the corner. I'm going to stop now because Phil wants to take some painkillers and he thought it would make too much noise to do it while we're talking. (laughs) Thank you for that. I did notice that. Uh, Right, well, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Au revoir. The internet has changed. So should the way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC.